0: Well, as you were already welcomed, I add to that my welcome to you tonight for a very, very special occasion, the Expositor Seminary graduation at Mission Road Bible Church, and uh, we're so grateful that you've joined us for tonight. The distinctive of the training at Expositor Seminary is that it happens in the local church, and it happens when the students are surrounded by a congregation. It is the incubator of ministry training. It is where a student cuts his teeth on what life is like with the challenges of shepherding God's sheep. It happens all in the confines of the local ministry where Christ-like love and body life occur. And it happens under the care of shepherds, teachers and leaders. And that's why it is my privilege to introduce to you tonight the man we've chosen to give a charge to the graduates, Dr. David Doran. Dr. Doran, just so you know a little bit about him, he is, of course, presently the pastor of InterCity Baptist Church in Michigan, where he has been since 1989. He has been there the better part of three decades. He has shepherded the sheep faithfully, so that wasn't a question in terms of the choice. He has been a faithful pastor to his flock, no defections in doctrine, and particularly no defections in his life. He lives a godly life in front of his sheep, and so that was the choice because of his years and the charge that he might bring from those years of experience. Just to tell you a little bit about his background and then a little bit about the thrill of the friendship that I've enjoyed with him for the past several years. He was, he did his undergraduate work at Bob Jones University, and then he received his Master of Divinity and Master of Theology at Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, where he is now the president. And then he did his doctoral work at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He is, of course, um, a man who puts pen to paper from time to time and has many, many uh, articles and uh, journal articles and all kinds of ways that he has input into the students' lives at the seminary. But interestingly enough, a few years back, he and a couple of colleagues got together and wrote a book on missions. And uh, Dr. Holland was speaking about that with the congregation this morning. But I was at our church in Florida, and we needed to talk missions, as any church does. It was fairly new to the ministry there, and so I joined the missions committee as a new pastor just to get to know the heartbeat of the fellowship, and it was Dr. Doran's book, which I had recently read, that that I presented to the missions committee to begin to understand missions. What you notice about the book when you read it, and what threads its way all the way through the text, is that here is a man who's thought about missions from the standpoint of the local church. The local church is where missionaries uh, get their fuel. The local church and its body life is where men and women are trained up and sent. The local church hems them in doctrinally. The local church is where they are discipled. The local church is where they learn to plant churches and... That's what I loved about this book, For the Sake of His Name, which is the name of it. And it represents really the heart of a man who is first and foremost a churchman. He's a churchman. He's a seminary president to be sure, but one of the reasons we love Dr. Doran is because there he is as a president of a seminary doing what Expositor Seminary does, but he's also doing it uh, in the context of his local ministry. It's right there where he shepherds the sheep. And so... We are thrilled to get to know Dr. Doran tonight as he brings a charge to the students. I'm grateful for his friendship. I've been under his preaching numerous times, and I know you'll be delighted with the charge that he is able to bring to not only the local church, but particularly to these men. And so let's give a warm welcome to our guest tonight, Dr. David Doran.
1: Thank you very much. Well, thank, thank you very much. It is uh, really a joy and privilege to be here this evening and uh, to share in this occasion with you folks, as well as express my thanks to the faculty and board members and the leaders of the seminary that uh, extended the invitation. It is a, it's a great occasion, uh, and I know uh, in your lives it's a benchmark toward which you've been headed. Let me invite you to take your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 20, if you would. I would like to draw our attention to a single text of Scripture as an opportunity for us to to be uh, charged and challenged, encouraged about ministry and and the importance of it. And uh, I thank the Lord for the fact that I have been in your seat, so I know that you're really not here to hear me. Uh, so I want to try and keep it so I can capture your attention for a little bit and uh, and hopefully give you some things to, to just in a formal, uh, final, I guess should say, charge to it. Let me just set the backdrop of this text. Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. Uh, he has a, a really aggressive sort of timetable he's working on that he wants to get back to Jerusalem in time for the feast. And so rather than going up to Ephesus to meet there because he knew he'd get drawn into uh, the, the fellowship of the people there, he actually sends word uh, up to the church at Ephesus and asks the elders of Ephesus to come down and meet him at Miletus. And so in, in Acts chapter 20, we find Paul addressing a group of men who serve as shepherds for the church at Ephesus. And, and he is uh, addressing them really in a sense uh, with his final charge. He says toward the end of it that this, they will never see him again, and it causes great weeping uh, because of that. He, in fact, just before the text we look at, uh, has a recognition that what lies ahead of him is a very significant challenge. He has actually been told that if he goes back to Jerusalem, he will he will encounter uh, life-threatening kinds of situations. And so, it's sort of that backdrop of, of ministerial intensity, people that he loves and cares about, a church that God in his providence used him to help establish the leaders of that church that he had been a part of, and he's sharing his heart and burden and vision for ministry with them while at the same time carrying the weight of knowing what lies ahead of him, that he's headed toward difficulty. And, and against that backdrop, I'd like us to look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. You would, Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. God's word says, But I do not consider my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly to the grace of God. here, Here is a verse of Scripture that I think just opens up the heart and commitment of the Apostle Paul to ministry, and therefore I'd like us to really just sort of unpack it a little bit for your sakes and for our sakes, because all of us uh, have an obligation to serve the Lord. And that's where I'd like to first start, really, is with that phrase in the text where he says here that I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus. And, and what I would suggest is that phrase, those words, open up to us the idea of Paul's obligation of ministry, or his responsibility, or possibly we could say the weight of ministry on him, that it was a race to be finished, right? He says, finish my course. There's a a course that Jesus Christ gave to him, and Paul's obligation and burden was to finish that course. And then he says, what did I receive? The, The ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. So he viewed ministry as a stewardship to be fulfilled. And those two concepts, a, a race to be finished and a stewardship to be fulfilled, needs to be deeply in your heart, because ministry is not something that we take up completely of our own initiative. In fact, uh, in, in the outworking of God's, uh, God's plan, ministry is something that comes to us with a, a combination, if I could put it this way, of divine work and work through the church, it isn't really that we thrust ourselves into ministry and say, here I am, everybody, because we're so important, but that it is that God is at work in the life of his servants to gift and qualify them. And those gifts and qualifications and, as First Timothy 3, 1 says, a desire for the service, as those things emerge in the heart and in the life, And the local assembly recognizes that and confirms that, that a man comes under this stewardship, he comes under this responsibility, that there is something that God has for that person to do to carry out the will of God. And I know, I know at times there can be uh, really weird things said about the call to the ministry. Uh, And so I in no way want to be identified with those weird things. Yet at the same time, I think we don't honor the Scriptures if we swing completely away from some sense of oughtness that God lays on the heart. Because here Paul says he received something from the Lord, that he was given a course and a task to pursue. In fact, look down to verse 28. You're here in Acts 20. Look what he says about uh, these elders and overseers at the church at Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, and look at this next part of it, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. So, So these elders and overseers who are to shepherd the flock, they are there by virtue of the work of the Holy Spirit, says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So again, it's divine work recognized by the assembly that brings a responsibility, an obligation that needs to be discharged before the Lord, because the the folks who serve in this capacity are called stewards over God's house in Titus chapter 1. That there is an accountability to God that comes with it. I think that's what backs Colossians 4:17 when Paul tells the church of Colossae to say, "Say to Archippus, fulfill the ministry which you have received in the Lord." Now, obviously, in a sense, tonight you're uh, you're actually coming to the end of a preparatory stage. That that that, in a sense. Uh, given local church recognition, opens up a door to you into ministry and service. A part of what you've been doing over these years is is establishing in your heart and mind your confidence and knowledge of the Scriptures. Men have been pouring into your lives to seek to, to shape and mold your life and character so that you, you have the qualifications and, and are demonstrating that because before you would do ministry... There needs to be some work of God for you to be the kind of man God wants you to be. And as you emerge from your training and live life in the assembly of God's people and God's people and shepherds over God's people, see in you the evidence of those gifts and qualifications. The merging of those two things will bring to you an obligation to be faithful to the Lord. You heard it tonight in the passage that was read for us. If any man speaks, let him do it as the oracles of God. That's a sobering verse to hear before you're supposed to preach because you are to stand up with this book and speak on behalf of God and represent him rightly. You are to say what God has said, right? That's the command. Preach the word. In other words, say something that has already been said and you are to say what God said, and you are to be faithful to that task. You are to, to begin the race with your eye on the end of the race when you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and finish the race that he set in front of you. Carry out the stewardship that he has given to you and fulfill it. And so you have coming to a great portion of, of your life in which You commence, not complete. You are beginning a process and a race that God has in front of you. And so sense the responsibility, the obligation of that. It's a it's a great privilege and a great obligation before the Lord. Run all the way to the end of the race. I'm I'm still really a young guy. I just prematurely looked old, but the reality of it is uh, one of the saddest things about, uh, so I finished, uh, finished my undergraduate training uh, 33 years ago, seminary 29 years ago, 30 years, getting close to 30 years ago, uh, and, and I say it with real heartbrokenness that probably it averages about one every other year. Of people that I trained for ministry with, or have been involved in alongside of don 't finish that race, because they get entangled in civilian affairs and and get weighted down with lusts that wage war against their soul, like Peter says, so resolve in your heart that you recognize tonight that you're pursuing something. You have a desire, I believe, and an ambition that is a good thing, 1 Timothy 3, 1, but must be backed with a life of godliness. It must be saturated with a commitment to God's word that you want to finish that race, you want to fulfill that ministry. Do not take your eye off of that end line. Keep it clearly in your mind because it will not be that long until you will see Jesus. It may seem like four years of seminary took forever, but but it, won't, it, it will pass very quickly, and we'll be in the presence of Christ, and the goal and ambition is to hear him say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Look now again in verse 24, because not just the obligation of ministry, he actually uses a uh, a series of words here that help us understand what the task of ministry is. Notice at the end of the verse it says that i uh, I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to solemnly testify to the gospel of the grace of god so here 's the core of the task that that Paul says he was given It is to testify to testify solemnly about something in fact, that word he uses. Uh, in the Greek language, uh, it, it actually helps capture a sense both the action and the attitude. The action is to testify, to be a witness about something, to bear witness to something. And and so sometimes we use witness in a, in a in a legitimate way as more of a just communicating truth. But but the idea here of of a witness is that you are you are called so to speak to the stand to bear testimony about some great truth the grace of god and so you are to be one whose life focus is to 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 bear witness to god's grace to make certain that that is brought forward continually and he uses a word as well that captures the attitude that word solemnly that it, that there is something about the testimony that that has a sobriety to it the standard greek dictionary says that this word generally is to state something in such a way that the hearer is impressed with its seriousness i mean that you're you're testifying about something that's really significant and therefore it should be done with a kind of sobriety that that sometimes is lacking in our day i mean we have we have popular preachers for 30 years who've said, you know, going back 30 years ago, is writing major books saying, hey, if you want to learn how to preach, watch Jay Leno or David Letterman and, and learn how they do it. And then, then uh, those guys were the old guys, so the new young guy comes along and says, listen to Chris Rock, and he'll, he'll tell you how to communicate to people. The reality is that's fine if you're doing, you know, it's actually Chris Rock, none of them really are fine, but if you're doing comedy routines, that's one thing. But but what Paul's saying here is this is no comedy routine. I mean, when we stand in the place of Christ and call people to be reconciled to God, it is not a joking matter. It's not something to be treated in a lighthearted way, but, but with the reality of the seriousness of that task. And that's why you spend four years having... Uh, the, the ability to handle the languages pounded into you. Theology pounded into you. Knowledge of the scriptures pounded into you. Because you're going to stand between the living and the dead and announce to them God's answer to it. The stewardship that Paul received was to bear witness, and the seriousness of that task called for a kind of sober ministry. It doesn't mean there's not, uh, there's not joy doesn't mean that there's not uh, a friendship and, and actually uh, laughter in the midst of serving. Paul said he's sorrowful yet always rejoicing because of this, but it clearly means when you stand in the place of God, you represent the King of kings, and you need to stand with His authority and proclaim that truth and make certain of it that you bear witness to it. That's the the core of the task. But notice the content of this task. He says to the grace of God. And what Paul does there is is really sort of compress a massive truth into a summary statement. And Paul likes to do that, right? When he said to the Corinthians that I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. He was there for 18 months. and, And no way should we think that every time Paul stood up, he just said Jesus Christ and him crucified and then sat back down. But what he was saying is you could summarize everything that he said as as flowing into the message of what God has done through Jesus Christ. Or here he would say about God's grace that's come to us. Or like 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says that he preached Christ Jesus as Lord. Those summary statements don't contradict each other at all. What they do is they show us that the message that must be at the center of our lives is that God's grace has come to us through what he's done through his son to provide redemption and by establishing Jesus as both Christ and Lord, so that whoever calls on the name of the Lord may be saved, and that can only be done by grace. And so we have to have that at the core of what we're doing, the very the very content of our message continually is this announcement of the grace of God, that God has moved graciously to provide salvation for sinners, not on the basis of works, but on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. Look over to verse 32, if you would, for a moment, because here, here I think is a great text to help us make a connection that Paul clearly would make. Because he says to these elders at Ephesus in verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So here's where we see a connection point that really is important. So how do you testify solemnly about the grace of God? You do it by the proclamation of the word of his grace. You do it by the exposition of scripture, by by the unfolding of biblical truth, and that's really the core to it. You're in Acts 20. If you slide back just to Acts 18 for just a a moment, you can see these two come together in a way that I think is helpful for us. Look at Acts 18.5. It says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. You see the combination there? Paul was occupied with the Word. And what was he doing with the Word? Testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So so when you open up the Word, it is is to be what saturates all of your ministry, and it is because it is in the Word, like 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, that we see the glory of the Lord. And as we see the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And so Paul when he says in Acts 20, 24, that he was testifying solemnly of the grace of God, that testimony was not just stuff he was making up. That testimony was the continual unpacking of what the Scripture said about God and his grace to us through Christ. So, so have your ministry be saturated with the Word of God. I mean, here's the reality. It can happen, and it's happened. I, I, I hope and pray and trust it won't happen to you but but men can can graduate from seminary step out into the sort of busy buzzsaw of ministry and and begin to lose that kind of saturation in the scriptures that just should should pour out of your public ministry and your private ministry i mean so when you stand in the pulpit it's the word that you're proclaim when you counsel in the office it's the word that you're giving out when you encourage a brother or sister in christ it's the word that will bring that to them and so let the word of god dwell in you so richly that it is flowing out because that's what that's what you're here for is because you believe god has directed your path into that and don't don't let the church growth gurus tell you that there's some other way to build the church because Acts 20, 32 says, I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So, so the, the, the task is to testify of the grace of God. Now, back in 2024, you'll notice that I went actually to the middle and end of the verse first. Now, I want to come back up to the start of the verse because I think really this is Paul's statement of the priority of ministry. He says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself or of value to myself. I mean, here's Paul establishing a priority structure. Okay, and 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 I'm gonna be honest with you, this is gonna sound a little radical, right? Because here's what Paul's saying. You take my life and you take my ministry and my ministry is more important than my life, right? He says, I do not consider my life of any value or dear to myself, so that I might finish my course and fulfill the ministry that had been given by Jesus Christ. That if, if Paul's having to rank them in terms of value and priority, his ministry is more important than his life. Now, part of the reason he's saying that is because he just told him in verse twenty three that whenever he goes, the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies that bonds and afflictions weight him. So so how'd you like to be Paul? I mean I can tell you you might encounter some trouble serving the Lord. All right, but I'm not a prophet, son of a prophet, and I work for a nonprofit organization. All right? So so I cannot I cannot tell you exactly what is in front of you, but I can tell you, I, I I know what Paul did. Every city he came to the Spirit testified to him that bonds and afflictions awaited him and therefore paul continually refer, uh, really reaffirmed in his heart what matters most is finishing the race fulfilling the stewardship i do not count my life as dear to myself that was the priority it was there now don't don't uh, don't think paul was somehow suicidal or masochistic because we know from the book of Acts, in fact, that there were times when he escaped, he secured guards, he used his political rights to protect himself, so Paul was not did not have a death wish. But when push came to shove, and it really came down to the bottom line, Paul was ready to fulfill his ministry to the point of death. That's what he's saying here. And here's what I would really like to challenge you, is that you not you not pursue and be affirmed for ministry until you've come to that place that you could say if i'm going to step into the work of jesus christ because i sense the obligation that he's placed in my life of a desire and giftedness and the confirmation of god's people that you need to be ready to take up your cross and follow christ because because there needs to be such a compelling desire in your heart to serve Jesus Christ that you are willing to forfeit your life if necessary to be faithful to Christ. Because Christ, Christ is worth more than our lives. There's nothing in this world that counts compared to Christ. There's nothing that this world can offer you that's of greater value to Christ. There's there's no pastoral position worth selling out Jesus Christ to keep. There's no ministry that's worth obtaining if it costs you your faithfulness to Jesus Christ. You would be better to be the object of scorn and ridicule and suffering And be true to Jesus Christ because this world's passing away. This light affliction, which is but for a moment, works a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And you say that you believe that. So serve Christ like you really believe it. Live like the gospel is actually true, that Christ has conquered death. We don't need to fear it that this world and the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to the sons of God. And what a shame it is when God's servants get captured by the trinkets and toys of this world and put greater value on them than finishing the race, fulfilling the stewardship. So let me just challenge you to drive deeply, deeply into the ground a commitment to put ministry ahead of your life. And then let that show up in every way you can. Living with Jesus Christ, not just as, as important, but as the center of your life. For his glory and for the advance of his name. Let me ask you to bow together with me in prayer, please. Father, thank you that, that our Lord and Savior is the one who gave himself for us so that we might have life in his name. And Lord, thank you for the call that you made to draw us first to Christ in salvation, but also to work in the hearts of men to have a burden to shepherd your people And may they be willing, these men particularly, as they finish their studies, may they be willing to place their lives, so to speak, on the altar before you and say that they do not consider their lives dear so that they might finish the course and fulfill the ministry that you entrust to them. Lord, put your hand on them and use them as they live a life faithful to your word, faithful in their lives and in their ministry, and may you bless them, and all of us, that we might have our hearts surrendered to Christ our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen.
2: Thank you, Dr. Doran. I think the theme of the entire four years that you men have heard is those to whom much is given, much is required, and you have been given even more tonight. God expects great things because of the great investment he has made in you. This is a great word that you've heard. Well, I want to take just a very brief moment to uh, acknowledge a debt I owe and the reason that we're sitting here tonight. It's the confluence of so many things in my own life, and I would be remiss in front of the Mission Road body and the Expositors Seminary if I didn't at least give a hat tip to two men who really are responsible for the ecclesiological uh, tributary that flows into this night as well as the theological and that is um, this is really the result of a vision given to this church many years ago by uh, Rod Gertson Rod you're here I'm going to ask you embarrassingly to stand up for just a moment just stay there. this church, the ability to have this seminary housed here, the ability to train these men is some of the fruit that God has borne through your years, two decades of service here, and I hope you're able to sense and taste some of the pleasure of the Lord, and we thank you. We would not be here doing this without the legacy that you handed me in this church, so thank you very much. I also want to say this is special for me because of um, my friend, Dr. George Zimek who is, um, is the, the single most influential theologian and theological influence in my own life. Um, he taught me Greek and Hebrew and theology and apologetics. The beginning days of the master Seminary, there were not a lot of uh, faculty, and I took, I think, everything I could. Everything that Dr. Zemek taught, I, I took. And I think of everything that I think, the way that I think, the way that I study, the way that God has... Uh, filled my library is such a blessing and the fruit of his influence in my life and we wouldn't be doing this tonight here either without his influence and I want to thank you Dr. Zimmerman. We now have the privilege, and I really mean that, the honor and privilege of receiving an offering from, uh, from all of us. This is a sacrificial uh, gift that we can make that's going to go entirely to the function of the Expositor's Seminary. And I'm grateful that we've been able to prepare for that, and this is something we're going to be able to give joyfully to see this ministry extended and more men trained for the glory of God and the good of His bride, the church. Let me pray, and the men will come forward. Our Father, I shudder to hear the words that Dr. Doran preached the responsibility that you have laid on the ministers in this room and on these men in the beginning of their new ministries. Father, please, I beg you by the mercy and grace of the living Lord Jesus that you would grant them hearts to be shepherds of your bride, the church, and a passion to be evangelist to a world who needs Jesus. Equip them, serve them, and make them sense the pleasure that they have from knowing you would say, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray that you keep them above reproach, from delivered from the hand of the enemy, to be mighty warriors in a world that needs your truth. We pray this because of Christ. Amen.
3: like to call to your attention in your programs, the section that's talking about academic honors, because uh, a lot of times we church people don't get in context that uh, do this, have this kind of background in uh, the ancient history of it all that goes way back, especially into the reformers' days. But these men that are down here today, these five men from Mission Road Bible Church, they have demonstrated a real commitment of human responsibility. They've exercised a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in some academically rigorous programs. Um, For example, they've had seven biblical language courses in Greek and also in Hebrew. So a total of 14 of those to get them to preach that word, to rightly handle the word of truth, and to pass that on with clarity to others. And there are other institutions that still do that. But there's something different about the Expositor Seminary. We just don't focus on that, as important as it is. We're concerned about, while we have them and while you have them in your midst, that they are working on the caricological qualifications that are so essential. And if you read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, apt to teach is in there, and it is primary. But the rest of it has to do with their observable lives in the home context, in the church context, and even outside of both as they do business in the highways and byways of life. And we've done, by God's grace, our best to challenge them in those two particular areas of doing and being. Because they won't be fit instruments in the hands of God unless they demonstrate both the being qualities and characteristics and the ability to do and handle the word of God. And just glance down at that section about academic honors. And we'd like to let you know that all of these men have gone through that program. They're about ready to launch out in a life that demonstrates those skills. And each of those men have indeed spent late nights not neglecting other responsibilities of work and home and family and church, but they poured themselves into their studies also. And yet far more importantly, in the context of all of that, they were developing those qualities, as Dr. Doran talked about, the necessity of having both of those dimensions in a man of God. And they were developing them, and we were testing them, we were pushing them in these particular areas. And I think theologically and practically, they have come to know what Paul testified about his own life. Sometimes we put Paul on this great pedestal like he was better than anybody else, and, and yet he knew himself. I am what I am by the grace of God. And I believe these five men have come to know that that indeed they are what they are by the grace of God. And they have demonstrated that commitment. And I urge you to keep on praying for them as they go out into their roles of ministry, some staying here, some taking other churches, and some ultimately maybe going overseas in a foreign missionary's context. They're all wearing cords. It just so happens that all five of your guys are graduating with honors. And that's something that you guys have had a part in. You've helped them. You've been deputized as disciples along with the faculty. And that's so strategically important in every church that we have as part of our seven campuses. And as you look down there, there's gradations of that, but yet it all belongs to Christ. For example, when I read their names, I'll point these things out. Cum laude is with praise. Magna cum laude is with great praise. And summa cum laude is with highest praise. So when they get their diplomas, they'll have a seal that recognizes that on the diploma itself. And you'll understand better of what this is about in academic tradition. Then we're so pleased that we'll be able to give these men a gift that we have given previous graduating classes. So they'll receive their diplomas over here from Dr. Rag, and then they'll come over here And Rick will give them these special Bibles. And these Bibles you can't buy in a store anywhere. Um, As a matter of fact, they're harder and harder to get the texts that are put together for those Bibles. And so we got the original shipments. I believe Lindsay got those and bought that group out, went to another source and bought that group out. And and we get imported, imported leather from Great Britain. And the man puts that all together, and he embosses it with our logo a very treasured gift, but not just to look at and put on a table, because it's got the text of the Greek New Testament in it, the one they've been studying all of these seven classes in Greek. It has the text of the Hebrew Old Testament in it, the ones they've been studying in Hebrew, all the way through those seven classes. So that should become a very special treasure to you guys all the way through your ministries. Now, what I'd like you to do is stand, men. And I'd like to present you to Dr. Rag, who's our chairman, and I present you as candidates about to be graduates.
0: Congratulations, men. By the authority vested in me, with the approval of the faculty and the board of directors and the board of trustees, and with the approval of the elders of Mission Road Bible Church, under the headship of Jesus Christ, I'm pleased to confer upon each of you the degree of Master of Divinity for which you have been recommended.
3: Trevor Austin Aiken, cum laude. you tell.
4: Aaron
3: Douglas Johnson. Myron Dean Watson II, magna cum laude. special privilege to present to you the 2016 graduating class of the Expositor Seminary. We've asked each man to give a brief forecast by God's grace of what he plans to be doing in the future, expending himself in the kingdom of God according to Acts 20 and those other passages we've been looking at today.
5: Well, good evening. Good uh, Plans from here, I'm just going to be involved in the uh, local body here at Mission Road Bible Church. We're excited to continue in all these wonderful discipleship opportunities that are offered here at the church and care groups and by the pastors. And um, as the guys have said, it's it's amazing the um, marriage between the formal institution scholastically of the seminary and the local church here in the body. And, and what an amazing blessing that's been and is going to continue to be for for me and Christina, um, as we learn life and parenthood and those kind of things under Chris and and the guys there. So we're really excited for what the Lord's going to do. And um, so we will be here until he calls us elsewhere. And we're excited for that.
2: My name is Adam Bultel. My wife, Alyssa, and I have been serving in student ministries here at Mission Road for the past two and a half years. Um, for the past two years, I've been serving in an intern role, and the plan after seminary is to stay here at Mission Road as the pastor of student ministries and to continue to oversee that ministry. It's been an incredible blessing over the past two years, and we are excited and looking forward uh, to how God is going to continue to teach us and um, continue to preach his word and shape and disciple students in that ministry. So we're looking forward to that for as long as God has us to be here.
6: Good evening. Um, My name is Noah Hartmetz. I'm going to do my best to get through this. Um, In two weeks... Uh, my wife and I and our children, um, we, will, uh, we will be moving to Girard, Kansas to, uh, to begin a life of service and, and ministry at uh, Girard Bible Church. Uh, Girard, Kansas is now is my Pittsburgh. Uh, it's known for its uh, fried chicken, and so <laughs> please uh, please take it easy on me if, if I seem a different shape when I come back up. <laughs> Um, we're, we're so excited to begin life there um, and and it is indeed um, bittersweet to uh, to leave here um, but uh, but we are eager to go and, and to serve uh, and to uh, to honor the Lord Jesus and to see uh, his people edified by the, by the power of the word thank you.
7: My name is Aaron Johnson, uh, after Dr. Doran's address. I think I'm going to re-enroll in seminary and take another four years before I go anywhere. Um, no, my, my family and I were, uh, were blessed to be called to Kansas for the sake of ministry here at the church as a primary uh, call and endeavor anyway. So I've, I've been on, on staff here for the four years of ministry. And um, in God's blessing, he opened up the opportunity to continue seminary here at the church. And so I'm looking forward to now just diving deeper into ministry here at the church through uh, music and through supervising the care groups and teaching and discipleship and uh, really whatever else uh, God and and the elders of the church have uh, for me. Um, So we're excited to stay here as long as God and the elders uh, would have us. Thank you. My name is Myra Watson. After graduation, I have the privilege of staying here in Kansas City and joining the staff here at Mission Road Bible Church on a part-time basis. My wife and I are excited to continue in the ministry here at Mission Road. I'm very excited to join the other four men, continue to learn from them with time on staff and fulfilling ministry roles and opportunities as they see fit and as the others see fit. Uh, We feel very privileged and blessed to be able to do that and are looking forward what the Lord has in store for us through that avenue. Thank you.
3: I'd like to invite all five men to come to the front and please kneel. also like to invite all the faculty, all the board members of Expositor Seminary, and the elders of Mission Road Bible Church to join them here for laying on of the hands. In our prayer of dedication, I'm going to invite um, the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, Jacksonville, Florida, Justin McKidrick, to come and lead us in this prayer.
8: What a precious worship service to honor the Lord. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we praise you and thank you for an evening to celebrate your grace and your glory. You are worthy of all honor and glory as we humble our hearts before you and consider your truth and the great work that you have done in these men's lives and in and through this church. You're worthy of our praise and adoration for reminded that you alone are God, there is no other, and you alone deserve all glory and honor as we celebrate tonight. We praise you and thank you that you are one who graciously redeems sinners, that through the loving and sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you Give the sinner hope. You give the sinner life. As your word says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious and forgiving God. And tonight we specifically thank you for the grace that you have lavished upon these five men's lives. For the salvation that you have brought to Trevor and Adam, Noah, Aaron, and Myral. That you have saved them from their sin and called them to Yourself, that they, like every believer, are trophies of Your grace. And we thank You that not only have You saved them, but You've called them to Yourself to be Your children, to be vessels to be used for You, saving them out of the domain of darkness and transferring them to the kingdom of light. Their lives would be lived as a testimony for glory. And that uniquely You have called them not only to a life of honoring you, but specifically to a life of preaching your gospel, of equipping your people, and of shepherding your church. We thank you that you have called and gifted these men to serve as pastors and teachers. That you've equipped them not just in a classroom, but that you've equipped them in the context of a church. That you've refined and matured them to be men of godly character. You've used the leadership here. You've used the church body. You've used the clarity of your word in their lives, and you've even used trials to humble them and to break them, that they would die to self, and that they would be men free for you to use as you would choose for your glory. Lord, we thank you for these are precious gifts that you have given to the church. Lord, we pray for these men. We pray that you would use them to magnify your name, that they would be faithful servants and stewards being found faithful before you. And in order to accomplish this task, we would, we would ask of you that you would give them a continual and growing love for you. Or these be men who fear and tremble before your word in their personal walks as they seek to pastor others with your word? May they be men who consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing value of the knowledge of Jesus Christ their Lord. May they be men of holiness and purity in their minds in their speech and in their actions. May they be guarded from the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. Guard them against the arrogant desires of the flesh that seeks after notoriety or the recognition or praise of men. Guard them against being self-willed and self-promoting and self-focused. Rather, would they be men that as others look at them, they would see the Savior, Jesus Christ, in their lives. May they be men that are not only faithful to practice what they have learned these past four years, but they would be ever-growing, maturing, as men of God who accurately handle your word. Men who are faithful to the text, faithful to live out the text, faithful to proclaim the text, and faithful to shepherd others with the text. May they be like the unashamed workmen who accurately handles your word as a pleasing aroma to you. Will these men also be men of prayer, Dependent upon you, abiding in you, knowing that apart from your grace and mercy that they can bear no fruit, would they sense their need and dependence upon you every single day? Would they cry out to you upon their knees, begging for your mercy, that you would bear much fruit through them? Would they be men who love and lead their families Would they be men who cherish their wives and love their wives as Christ loved the church and bring their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, that not only would you be pleased by the testimony of their family, but they would be examples to the flock. Lord, use these men to proclaim Christ, that many would come to know you through the testimony of their lives, through their faithfulness in the pulpit. Use these men to proclaim Christ, that many would be sanctified through their ministry. That as our world gets darker and darker, that the gospel in their lives would shine brighter and brighter. Use these men as lights to show off your grace in your church. To show off your glory that your name would be known. Lord, we would ask that you would prepare them for persecution. Prepare them for attack. Prepare them for criticism in a growing and hostile world. And when these attacks come, would they be men filled with kindness and humility and patience, boldness, demonstrating the love of Christ as they refute error and proclaim the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, when the trials of ministry come, would they find refuge in you? Give them grace to stay the course and be found faithful. And Lord, when the joys and victories and successes of ministry come, would they rejoice in giving you all of the glory? Lord, when the numbers of their days have come to the end, would they be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Lord, we thank you for the gift of these men in our lives and the lives of this church. And Lord, we know that this is not an end, but a beginning and how you will continue to bring glory to your name through their lives and their families in many ways. And we commend them to your care that the name of Jesus would be glorified. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
9: Paul well, their... tells. The, the believers in Colossians, in Colossians chapter two, that he has a great burden for them, and he says, that your hearts may be encouraged, having met, knit, knit together in love, attaining to the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, and the result is this, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we're gonna have an opportunity together to proclaim that in song, the wondrous mystery of Jesus Christ. I invite you to stand and let's sing together as a church. Come, behold the wondrous mystery. Father, with great joy, we celebrate the demonstration of your loving and kind ministry to us this evening. We thank you for the work of grace in the hearts of these men and their families. We pray for sustaining grace in the days and years ahead. As one chapter closes, we pray for many fruitful chapters to come. We pray that you would continue to water their hearts with the life-changing message of the gospel. Use every sermon, every gathering of your church, every hospital bedside visit, and all the experiences of ministry to be a means of grace to these dear men and their families. Lord, sustain them as they labor and strive in the ministry of your precious word. Encourage their hearts when times are lean. Strengthen their marriages when ministry is taxing Fortify their doubts and discouragements with the sure hope of your sovereign good hand. May they be unflinching and unyielding in proclaiming the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You, Lord, have chosen the foolish and the weak to preach the gospel so that our boast is only in you. So, Lord, we pray, guard these precious men strengthen their hearts, magnify their hope, humble them for the good work that is before them. And so we stand with the Apostle Paul who said that our beloved brothers will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord their labor is not in vain. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we all say, Amen. Would you remain standing?